freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. everybody welcome to episode number 264 of gun freedom radio where we engage we educate and we inform we are brought to you by azfirearms.com your nationwide hometown gun shop i am one of your hosts cheryl todd and i'm the other guy dan todd Our guest is Jeff Fine. Jeff is a Maricopa County Clerk of the Court, where he serves as the fourth largest metropolitan population in the United States. His primary focus as the courts has been leading teams that improve efficiency, access to judges, and customer service. Justice and mm -hmm. customer service. Mm -hmm. He also has a track record of protecting the tax dollars by championing smart initiatives based on best practices and leveraging of technology. Because of his experience and commitment to improvement, Jeff is regularly asked to present at court training events both locally and nationally and has served on over a dozen state and county task forces and committees. Jeff's focus is always on family, faith, and service to his country and community and has served as a police officer, corrections officer, and a decorated military veteran. Thank you for your service. He knows firsthand what it means to serve and defend our country, uphold our laws, and administer justice. He cares deeply about our country and community. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Absolutely wonderful to see you again. Uh, I think it's been about two years since the last time we've had an opportunity to connect online. Again, it's an honor to be here and share information about what's going on uh, in the judicial branch and particularly the clerk of the court's office. You know, we've known Jeff for quite a while, and when we first met you, and you know, we, we talked, and, you know, your goal was to save money for the court system, mm -hmm. and you've shown me so many examples of how you're doing that, and it's, it's, it's awesome to know you for what you do. And to have, uh, go ahead, Jeff. No, thank you so much for your kind, kind words. Thank you, Danny. And to have a go-to person who can answer some of these questions that have been swirling around in my head about the, the election. And we're going to get into this in a little while. Um, but, you know, here in Arizona, we are shipped uh, what's on my ballot. And some of the things are about electing judges. And how do we know how to do that? And again, we'll come back around to that. But... Um, to just kind of let folks know why you're our go-to, what is your role as clerk of the Arizona Superior Court for Maricopa County? Well, I've been in the judicial branch for quite some time, both as a, as a judge, justice of the peace, as well as an enforcement officer and administrator. And about, uh, I've done a, a number of things, and it seemed to lend itself well uh, to maybe apply some of that experience uh, uh, on a broader scale. So uh, I ran for uh, office uh, for the Clerk of Superior Court for Maricopa County about two years ago. And uh, my role is, is primarily to, um, uh, to 
oversee uh, the, I guess what would best be described as the administrative or the business function of the court. Superior court's divided into two halves, the court itself, the judges uh, who make decisions in cases and the direct staff that help them with that function. And then you have the business side. You have uh, the individuals who uh, receive and protect uh, and uh, circulate uh, and generate uh, all of the court documents. We have literally tens of millions of them that we, uh, that we generate and circulate and protect and make available to the public. Um, that represent the work of the court. Uh, we also handle, we're also the fiduciary uh, for the court system, so we handle all of the finances. Um, I'd like to say, though, I'd like to describe what I believe is the most important aspect of the court uh, to the individuals of our community, and that is we're kind of the front face of the court. When you come into the court building uh, to conduct business with the court, to drop off forms, to ask questions, uh, to, to make a payment, uh, to pay filing fees, and these type of things, the individuals that you're that you're engaging with are members of the clerk of the court team, uh, the team that that uh, that I am with, uh, and so um, I like to say that we're kind of the face of the court. When you're in the courtroom, generally you're engaging with the judge, but when you're engaging with uh, staff members, more often than not, it's it's someone uh, on my team, and I I also stress uh, to my team. Um, every chance I have the opportunity, and they are so wonderful, they believe in this. Um, you know, sometimes the things that happen in the court system, oftentimes people reach agreements in cases. That's not uncommon, civil matters and criminal matters and such, uh, you know, through, through working together to reach some type of an agreement. Uh, and so sometimes there is, isn't as much for the court to decide, um, but sometimes when people come, first come to the court and they come to our counters, they don't, um, they're scared frankly, to be honest with you. Uh, the courts can be uh, complicated uh, and difficult to navigate. and People come in scared. And I often tell my, my, uh, my team members, uh, more often than not, than not people uh, uh, gather their comfort level uh, and whether they are being treated fairly, uh, oftentimes by their engagement with staff. And so um, uh, we make sure that we, we have a saying in the clerk's office and it's start with people. Everything we do comes back to people. Family cases are about people's lives and their children. Civil cases are about people's assets. Criminal cases are about people's liberty. And these are, these are very important things. And, and that's why people come in scared. And so, again, we are, are uh, one of our mottos is we always start with people because that's what it's all about. And Jeff, they're scared. They come in scared, like you said, but they also come in because they have to come in. It's not like they have a choice. So it really makes it hard, right? It, it does. I mean, it, it, there's a lot of, uh, when I was a justice of the peace, uh, a lot of people had misconceptions about what was going to happen when they came to court. They came on a civil matter. They thought they might, there might be an order for them to give up their assets that day, or they thought uh, that if they came in on a criminal case, mm -hmm. they might go to jail that day. And, and they don't understand that there's actually a process and I think a lot of our judges are very good at explaining that once they get in the courtroom. But when people come to the front counter and they haven't had a chance to go to the courtroom yet, oftentimes they're very nervous. And we try to treat them with as much respect and patience as we can, try to be as helpful as we can uh, so that they understand that uh, the system is there uh, to provide an opportunity for them to try to work something out with the other side or, uh, and that there's going to be some process. And, um, uh, but a lot of people, again, are very scared, and I, and I find that more often than not, 
when you treat individuals with respect and you provide good customer service, uh, it provides them with uh, comfort and helps them get through a difficult process. And, and I'd say one of the most common things we see at our counters are, for example, people in family court cases. Those can be very scary for a lot of people. You're talking about your children uh, more often than not in those type of cases. And, and so, um, but again, it, everything comes back to, to people. How many people is on your team that you, that we you have supervise just, or manage? We just have, uh, we have just under 700 employees uh, and we have uh, a number of people that work at, at the counters. Uh, we have a lot of people that work in back areas, uh, working in queues, scanning documents, routing documents, doing quality checks on documents, entering data into systems when documents come in, um, handling finances. Um, calling people with reminders and, and follow-up information. Uh, we have a customer service team, but then we also have a team that works in the courtrooms and they're called courtroom clerks. Well, so your, and your, your job's not a walk in the park then. It's a lot of work, isn't it? Big responsibility. Absolutely. And you talk about the technology end of things. I would imagine that that has ramped up considerably with this crazy COVID year that we're in. We're sitting in the studio on Monday, September 28th in the infamous year of 2020. And uh, COVID is still very much a part of our lives. Um, and so we are already using technology. Has that expanded since COVID became part of our lives? It has. And, I, and, and so I will tell you that uh, uh, basically COVID has actually accelerated plans that we've already had underway. When I first came to office, one of the first things that we did is we sent out about 10,000 surveys to individuals both in the court system, partner agencies, other government agencies, users of the court and the public, and we, uh, we received feedback. We asked open-ended questions like, what could we do better? How could we be more helpful to you? Uh, we then took that information and uh, uh, got together our entire uh, management team, supervisors and above, about 60 people, uh, went through that, went through all of that feedback, and we came up with a plan of about 50, we were able to pare it down to about 50 recommendations, and about half of those involved um, improving technology. I, I think I've used this word before, and I've been in the courts long enough to, to feel comfortable saying it. Um, you know, generally speaking, in government, sometimes uh, we're a little bit behind other sectors, the private sector. And so, um, for example, when I, when I was, uh, before I was elected, um, I know one of the things I had noticed was that the online payments weren't available yet, and you weren't able to file documents in all case types online, for example. So, um, uh, the, uh, we, started, we, we started to work on, on, on those initiatives, uh, and actually were able to get a basis uh, of, uh, of technology in place. We've got a new uh, finance system. About half of what we do deals with handling funds. We're the fiduciary of the court. So we actually um, uh, rolled out a new, an entire new finance system. Uh, and we now have coming live here October 1st, uh, people are going to be able for the first time in the Superior Court of Maricopa County uh, going to be able to make payments uh, for things online, uh, things they would normally have to come down to the court for or do on the phone. They're, they're going to do that online. We think that could impact up to 125,000 transactions. Imagine the number of people who come down to make payments at our counters or make a phone call and the time that it takes and the resources it takes. 
about 125,000 transactions would be transactions that would actually, we believe, would work well online. Those are just a few examples of some of the initiatives. But there are some things that, there are a lot of other services that we do and uh, that we've been trying to push online, uh, more uh, online engagement. We just got civil case initiation, so you can file a case as of about uh, three weeks ago, and it becomes mandatory, mandatory for attorneys on October 1st, here in just a few days. Civil cases can and will be required to be filed online, at least for attorneys. Um, that's going to extend to other case types. So we're talking about you know, tens of thousands of trips of people having to navigate down the freeways to downtown areas to find a parking spot to walk through a court system that's about a mile long to get to our counter only to wait in line and conduct a transaction. We're moving many of those things and already have many of those functions now online. Marriage licenses, we also do that. And we've been issuing marriage licenses remotely because of COVID. Um, uh, we had to, there were certain parts of our lobbies that we had to scale back because of spacing. And so we started to offer marriage licenses online. People, when they have exhibits and they have a, 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 they have a hearing, they're now, they're now doing those hearings on video. And my staff is even appearing in the courtrooms by video. But the exhibits still have to come downtown. They have to come down to the court, wherever the court is. And so they used to have to bring those down on paper. Last week, we just, uh, we just started uh, uh, the use of an online portal where individuals are able to actually file their documents online. Uh, and so that, uh, that yeah, they're able, they're able to, without even, even having to come down. So those, all of those things are, uh, all of those things were things that were on our radar screen. Uh, and they are things that uh, if it wasn't for COVID, might take months or years to implement. But because of COVID, we've been able to speed those things up out of necessity because we have to. Yeah. And we've been able to reduce the amount of, we've been able to reduce the amount of foot traffic in our court facility substantially because of things like this. There's one more thing that COVID did for us. Uh, government has provided some uh, funding, the federal government, uh, to help push processes online and to, and to make things more convenient during this difficult time. We actually received some funding for a couple of projects, a couple of projects to expand e-filing into different case types like family cases uh, uh, and juvenile cases. We hope to have those uh, to, be able to, be, to, to file, be able to file documents online by the end of the year. And something else that I am really excited about, which is what's called intelligent capture. We have a relationship with IBM, their Watson program, uh, and we are uh, going to be getting to a point where when somebody brings in documents, if they bring them in on paper, or let's say they, they send us images of the documents, the software will be able to look at the documents and intelligently locate information on the documents that will automatically do about 80% of the data entry that my folks do in the back rooms after documents are filed. We'll be wow. able to, we'll be able to get, take care of that faster and then reallocate resources to push more services online and also to be able to spend more time with people at our counters. You know, these, a lot of these things I just talked about reduce the amount of time that, that people spend at the counters, the number of people, but there are always going to be individuals that, that want to ask questions uh, in person or that mm -hmm. will choose to represent themselves and maybe seeking assistance. And so if we can take care of some of the routine things and push them online, 
that allows us to spend more time with people who really need our help. And so we're very proud of the fact that, that uh, all of these initiatives not only make us more efficient, but they make us more helpful. When he retired, when you retired, Jeff, I want you to come work at the gun shop and get us efficient, okay? <laughs> because everything you do is amazing. I mean, you started out at that place out there by Buckeye, I think, the, the court over there, and you turned that into a very productive uh, situation, and it's just amazing to hear these stories. It really is. And so I remember, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, that you were kind of spearheading that, you know, uh, somebody that was incarcerated being able to video conference with a judge. Was that something you were at the forefront of? Yeah, in the justice courts, we were, we were moving, we had 26 courts, we were moving prisoners around to those courts, and prisoners could only be seen once a week, approximately, per logistics, because uh, there were so many courts. And uh, what we did was we created a video center, kind of like a hub, or uh, kind of like an airport terminal for, <laughs> I guess is the best way to describe it. It was a courtroom downtown. And instead of taking these prisoners out to different places about once a week, once a day, we brought everybody who needed to be seen to one location. Yeah. And at that one location, we had stations with video cameras uh, to where uh, people, the judges could actually remote in to talk to the individual at a virtual bench, a desk, uh, much like a bench in a courtroom. And the person would step up and they would have a chance to see the judge on the screen before them. Staff was there to, to help them with paperwork if they were signing any paperwork. And what this did was this reduced the amount of time. And I'm not talking about time that people spent sentenced. These were misdemeanor cases uh, in, when I was working on that project. So most of the time spent in misdemeanor cases in jail is waiting to see a judge. Mm -hmm. There's very few cases where people spend time in jail as a result of a sentence. Mm -hmm. And so it was taking about 10 days on average to, for people to be seen if they were held after they were arrested. We reduced that to five, and the county is opening up a new facility uh, called the ITR. It's been delayed a little bit because of COVID, intake and release facility down at the Durango Complex in South Phoenix. And uh, uh, I'm no longer with the Justice Courts. I'm with Superior Court, but I know that we were anticipating when we, during planning that it would further reduce that, that from five days to even less. And the goal was is to get people seen by a judge if they, if they were arrested and held, for example, if they were arrested in the evening and saw a judge that night, and the judge said, no, you need to stay and see the court that issued the warrant tomorrow morning, that they'd be able to see them tomorrow morning. It used to be 10 days, got it down to roughly five days, if I remember correctly, and, and um, uh, hopefully they're, they're, they're in the process of getting that down to, to just a matter of, uh, a matter of the next morning. That was the goal, and, uh, and uh, I, I'm sure that they're well on the way. Uh, COVID, again, I understand that ITR facility has been, was supposed to open up a few months ago, and it's still a few months away, but it's an exciting, uh, it's an exciting thing, and I will tell you, I'm so thankful that the county sees the benefit in these things. Yeah. Um, you know, you're in jail for 10 days uh, on a misdemeanor. Uh, you could lose your housing. You could lose your job, and we're talking about things like traffic tickets and stuff like that, mm -hmm. so... Um, uh, and if the only reason that they're in jail is because they're waiting to see somebody, uh, I'm glad we found faster ways to be able to see people. Right. Look how much money you save the, the government too. I mean, the, the courts, because you're paying for that person to be in jail. Yeah. hundred dollars a day, roughly. I haven't looked, I don't remember what the exact figures are for this year, but 
the jail rate, the per diem rate has roughly been around $100 a day is, is the cost of incarceration in Maricopa County. Well, you were Zooming before Zooming was cool. So, <laughs> so I want to dive into this uh, thing that has arrived in our mailboxes around the state of Arizona. And of course, we uh, talk to audiences all across the nation. And so maybe people listening have something similar that's been mailed to them. But even if not, I would imagine that in every single city of every single state that they're going to be uh, asked to vote on judges. And, you know, right now, the hot topic, of course, is SCOTUS, you know, the Supreme Court uh, Judge Justice uh, nomination and all of that. So that is, you know, one whole process that is going to be, you know, very public and probably a big spectacle and all that sort of thing. But when we get to, you know, the local uh, justices around here, I mean, there's a bunch of them in this book, and there's even a judicial performance review. And, you know, my main lane is the Second Amendment. So I always try to look through that lens and see, well, who can I vote for that will support the, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, takes their oath seriously to, to protect and preserve and defend the Bill of Rights. And I don't really know how to do that with judges. Is there a way to do that with judges? And is it in this book? Well, I'm, I'm familiar with about three ways of, of kind of educating uh, oneself. Um, and there may actually be more uh, than, than, than what I'm familiar with. And, and I'll start with the easy ones and then get to what you have in your book there. But one is, is if you, if you know individuals who interface with the court, um, you know, if you have uh, friends who are attorneys or, or such, they may be able to, to, to help you with uh, uh, some of their observations. Um, and that's, that goes to any decision that we make in life. We look to people that we know and trust and, and uh, ask them what their thoughts are uh, before we make decisions. Um, there is a, 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 other than a judicial performance review, again, which I'll get to in a second, there is another tool. There's a, uh, in Arizona, there's something called the Commission on Judicial Conduct. Uh, and when individuals, um, uh, uh, when, when somebody reports something that they believe is a violation of the, uh, of the code of conduct for judges, uh, that is handled by a particular commission uh, in uh, Arizona. And they actually put all of their decisions on the internet, on their website. So it's the Commission on Judicial Conduct for Arizona. Um, I think some of the decisions that they make in cases where, the, where, where what they looked at was a relatively minor issue, I don't know that they always provide the name of the judge. But for the more serious things they dealt with, they usually list the name of the judge and there's a little bit more information. Now, getting to what you had, you had uh, you had uh, uh, mentioned the Judicial Performance Review. In 1992, the Arizona Constitution was amended to allow certain judges in Arizona to be appointed and then to be, um, uh, to go when they are, when their term is up uh, and, and they are up for re-election, um, they created a, uh, uh, they created the Judicial Performance Review process. It is a, a commission consisting of 33 members most of them are members of the public. And what they do is they send out, and this last year they sent out 52,000 surveys to individuals who appeared in court. They sent them out to attorneys, to jurors, to self-represented individuals, individuals who are representing themselves, which is an ever-increasing number, as well as witnesses. 
Uh, and uh, so they mail this information out. And I was looking at some of the stats on how many get returned. And it appears as though for some of these categories, as, as much as approximately three quarters of these actually are returned. And they asked them questions about, about were they fair? Did they apply the law? Um, how did they handle the courtroom? Now, this doesn't get to specific issues, but I, I, I have to imagine that when you send it out to, you know, for 52,000 people who appeared in court, that they all, all these 52,000 individuals had differences of opinions. And, um, uh, and, and one thing that's important to all parties is, is that they feel as if they were heard and they feel as if the court made a fair decision based upon the law. And so while, while the, 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 um, uh, while the report that's generated by the commission with some of the statistics from these, uh, surveys, um, uh, Sorry, I lost my train of thought there. Um, the, uh, while it doesn't get into the details, that's what I meant to say, um, it, it is still helpful. And, uh, and so now I will tell you there's, there's the information that I looked at the printed copy. There's a little bit more detail I found online. It actually breaks it down by the, the, the type of individual who is responding. So there, there's a number for the commissioners. The commissioners look at all of the all of the survey materials and they vote to, uh, I think, to retain, they meet retention requirements or they don't. And so you'll see a number that's based on those 33, they vote. But then you can actually see a little bit more of the raw data from the attorneys and the litigants and the jurors and the witnesses and things like that by going to the Judicial Performance Review website uh, that is uh, uh, sponsored by the Arizona Supreme Court here in Arizona. So, um, uh, and uh, the way that they, uh, they list these responses is, is, is a matter of percentage. And so, and by the way, you can click on a box, uh, I think there's an option, and you can look at pre the history of the performance reviews uh, for each of the judges as well. But uh, it is a, a good system, uh, I think, uh, for the public to provide. Obviously, it doesn't, it may not uh, provide voters with everything they might want to know, but it's definitely uh, a good starting place and a great place to kind of to see uh, how it is individuals who appeared before these judges, how those individuals felt about, again, how they were treated, uh, were the, was the court fair, uh, did they, were the decisions based upon the law, these type of things, at least from their perception. That's, that's awesome news. Jeff, is there, has there ever been or can a judge be removed for not performing by the guidelines of the judicial branch or whatever it is you called it? So there's a code of conduct I mentioned earlier, and there's this what's called yeah. the Commission on Judicial Conduct, which is different. Judicial Performance Review is about providing feedback so that voters can, okay. can have some information to help them with retention decisions. However, uh, all members of the judicial branch branch, both judges and staff are subject to a code of conduct. There's different ones for staff and different ones for judges. But when a judge, but when somebody reports to the commission what they believe is a violation of a code of conduct, that is investigated. Uh, and the commission looks into that. And the commission does have the authority uh, to recommend different, uh, different types of uh, outcomes. And one of those is uh, a removal of a judge, which I believe requires 
uh, is a decision that is made uh, based upon a recommendation to the Chief Justice of the Arizona Supreme Court. I think there have been a few judges that have been removed. Um, and uh, mm -hmm. uh, in, in history, in my 30, you know, 20 something years in the courts, you know, sometimes you see headlines. I, I've attended classes, uh, classes on ethics in the judicial branch. And one of the things they do is they bring up headlines from around the country. Um, there are judges who sometimes do some bad things. Uh, and and some, sometimes it's in their personal life. And, uh, uh, and uh, judges have been, uh, uh, there was a judge, I believe, if I remember correctly, who was arrested uh, in an alleged domestic violence case. Um, a few years ago. And uh, so you see things like that. And uh, more often than not, uh, uh, you'll find that uh, in the more serious matters that uh, sometimes those judges will, will resign or sometimes they, uh, they're removed from office. Haven't seen that happen too often, but um, I've seen it happen. Well, you have judges. I mean, when you become a judge, you have to go by the uh, guidelines of what the Supreme Court says, right? Or, or your justice system says, right? You have a code of ethics, right? Like you said, but they have certain guidelines. And so like law enforcement, we say, you're going to abide by the Constitution, right? You're going to, you're going to govern your job by the Constitution. Are judges set by the Constitution or are they by the, by the guidelines of the court? Uh, oh, it's just, like the Hippocratic Oath yeah. for judges. What's your Hippocratic Oath? Yes, that, I guess that's what I'm saying. Because, you know, when you're a senator, you swear to the Constitution, you're going to withhold it. Do you do that when you're a judge? I guess that's the best way to say it. Sorry. Judicial branch staff and, and judges take the same oath uh, that, you're, that you're familiar with to uphold the Constitution. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and I believe that that particular uh, premise is outlined in a number of of different guiding documents, including the code of conduct, but the code of conduct is more the application of that to include a behavior uh, and uh, uh, and the way judges should conduct themselves both personally and professionally. Um, as far as decisions, the code of conduct doesn't get much into the decision making of the judge, more the behavior, um, uh, but the decision making of, 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 of the judges in an Arizona is always subject to the review of a higher court upon appeal. So for example, city court judges and, and justice court judges, uh, their decisions can be appealed to the superior court and the superior court can be appealed uh, to the court of appeals and the court of appeals can be appealed to the Arizona Supreme Court. And it's not uncommon for cases to be appealed. In fact, we have an entire appeal division that handles nothing but moving the paperwork back and forth between these courts. Um, but, uh, uh, but generally speaking, um, uh, as far as uh, the decision, um, uh, the conduct commission, I don't think gets as much into decision as they do the behavior. Uh, I'll never forget. I, I do recall a case where a judge um, uh, 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 kind of didn't appear to follow what would be a common protocol for how to handle a particular matter in the courtroom and, and uh, kind of um, uh, moved through proceedings rather quickly. Uh, and, and that particular issue I saw go up to uh, up for review um, uh, uh, as a matter of behavior, not as a matter of, uh, not as a matter of, uh, of appeal uh, on the decision. And so, um, so again, behavior is more uh, the conduct, uh, the Judicial Conduct Commission here in Arizona, uh, but the Judicial Performance Review gets more to the decision making uh, and, and such. Mm -hmm. And like I said, with only, without really any detail, um, 
But I will tell you, though, that uh, I'm very proud of, I will tell you that, 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 and I haven't had a chance to get to know all of the judges in Maricopa County. I worked in Goodyear for, for many years. I worked out in the Buckeye area for many years. And those were small communities, and I got to know everybody very well. Maricopa County is one of the largest metropolitan areas. But the judges that I do interact with, which are primarily the leadership judges, they are outstanding. Uh, and uh, I have never been part of an organization that is, is committed uh, to fairness and applying the law uh, and to justice uh, as, uh, as um, I see an organization and the opportunity that, that I have to work with the people that I work with now. Uh, very proud of, very proud of Arizona, very proud of, of Maricopa County. Always room for improvement. I, I, I've always believed, I, no matter what, you'll always hear me say that. I'm always seeking improvement and I always think there's room for improvement. Mm -hmm. But I think Arizona, I, I really do, I really do think Arizona does a good job in many ways, including the judicial branch. Right. Well, the only reason I bring this up is, one is I'd like to know myself, but we're getting ready for an election. And it's not just picking a name out of a hat. There's, there's some studying and work to be done to pick the judges that represent you, right? Well, that's what this um, judicial performance review I think is trying to help us with. And so uh, what I'm seeing in here is that 33 commissioners voted on each individual uh, attorney that I see in here. And it says that, you know, for this particular person, it, everyone said that he, he or she meets the judicial standards and nobody said that they did not meet the judicial standards. So that's, that's a good place to start. And then the things that they were judged on are legal ability, integrity, communication skills, judicial temperament, and administrative performance. So I'm thinking if I'm looking for somebody that is going to, you know, stick as close to the Constitution and their oath as possible, the, the piece of that that's probably going to give me the most information about that is probably legal ability. Um, am I kind of on the right track with that, would you say, of those choices? Well, I would say you look at the you look at the plain language of those and and make a decision you know yourself as to what you what you believe is important. I, I think it does. Uh, they do provide a little bit of information on the website about the nature of each of those categories. So you might want to might want to yeah, take a look there. But I will tell. But but I think but I think what uh, you know uh, for example, um, uh, uh, legal ability is something that I'm sure is 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 probably paramount on the minds of. A lot of individuals who appear in court, and uh, and you have remember I, I had mentioned earlier you have attorneys who are making arguments about the law uh, before the judges, and you have mm -hmm. self-represented litigants who um, uh, who uh, are are uh, making their own cases. And you have jurors that are watching this play out in court, and they're looking at the instruction they're receiving from the court as whether. Uh, and, and looking at how the entire process is managed, uh, as well as witnesses who appear and testify before the court. So, um, like I said, if you go online, it breaks each of those down even a little bit further by the type of individual uh, who's responding. And um, that I think it's very powerful. Again, it doesn't get into details of the specifics of a case, but it, it goes a long way toward, uh, toward um, uh, not only how uh, a judge's legal ability and other things are perceived by individuals who may not be attorneys, but also by attorneys who know mm -hmm. the law 
And so mm -hmm. it is, uh, yeah. and, the, and, and the attorneys uh, appear to be very good at, at returning those surveys. And, uh, uh, and, and they're on both sides of the fence. Remember, every case has two sides. And if you have both, and if you have both yeah. sides, uh, uh, saying that they were treated fairly, that, that's probably represented in, in, right. in, a, in a score. Uh, and so, uh, again, a good tool to start with. Uh, there are other places, like I said, uh, that, that, that uh, people can reach out to others that they trust who may have more familiarity with individuals who are in court more often. Some attorneys may have some, you know, uh, may have more information that they're willing to share with friends or such. And, and, uh, but uh, it's definitely nice that we have a lot of states don't even have this tool that we have, so um, it's a great tool. And uh, one of these days, once you know, once this uh, COVID thing is over, and and a lot of the offices are more open and accessible, um, uh, I'd like to my, myself, to be honest with you, learn a little bit more about the judicial performance review process myself. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think there's a lot to mine from that on many levels. And when I was hearing you talk about, you know, the appeals process, I was thinking, well, maybe if we looked at how, you know, how many times each individual judge has been appealed, that might tell us something, <laughs> but not necessarily. And that's hard to say, you know, I, I, I uh, at least in the justice court world, there are judges who explain their decisions on, with great detail and some that explained it rather concisely. And, 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 and sometimes I, I felt, at least when I was a justice court judge, that, you know, the more information you put out there, the, you know, the, quite possibly the, uh, uh, the, the more there is to appeal. And, and I, I don't take a position for or against how much a judge writes and such. <laughs> but I, I will just say that I don't know that, the, that, that, that whether or not someone gets appealed is a good indicator of, 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 their, of all of their abilities. Um, when I was a justice of the peace, I will tell you that in my court, um, I always had the parties appear before me in person, and I always asked them if they would to please try to uh, to talk and see if they could resolve the case. I used to say, uh, someone's going to win, somebody's going to lose, and somebody's going to pay costs and fees. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. and so, and and if you can reach an agreement that both of you are are happy with, you might be able to save some of the costs because. Attorneys cost sometimes cost several hundreds of dollars per hour, and somebody has to pay that if a matter goes to trial. Right. And so, um, uh, and, and I've and and so um, I will tell you in, in my in my court, I saw a tremendous number of people reach agreements, and actually didn't hold that many trials. Um, and when people reach agreements, generally they, they, there's nothing to appeal because they they decided the outcome of the case. So, um, you know, I, I don't take a position as to uh, how I was as a judge, but I was proud of the fact, uh, you know, I don't want to, I'm not going to toot my horn or anything, but I, but I will, I, but I will tell you, I was, I was proud to see so many people resolve things. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, but when, like I said, when they reach those agreements, there's very few appeals. And so, um, you know, that being said, there's a lot of circumstances, you know, there are a lot of things I think that make a good judge, you know, when, Back, back when I was a judge, I, I looked around me and, you know, I think it's also very important that you have somebody that understands, again, it's all about people and, and treating people in a manner in which they feel comfortable in court and they have the opportunity to understand the nature of what's going on. Um, and so these are, these are all things that I think that play into that. Wow. Right. And I think that, you know, anybody can appeal a case. You can apply to appeal right. any case. 
And a judge that sees more cases than another judge is probably going to have more appeals than a person that sees less cases. Right? Fair. Out of volume, <laughs> quite possibly. <laughs> yes. You know, that's quite an experience. I have to say, I, I have been to small claims court two or three times. And it's, you know, I almost recommend that. It's, it's interesting. You, you get to learn to go through the process. Go through the process. Yeah, it's a hoot. Uh, well, we no, should it, all do that it, some more. I, I don't want to do it again, <laughs> but I've had judges that were totally understanding, and I had other judges that seemed to, I don't know, just go with the sympathy card kind of thing. I don't, I, I hate to say that was bad, but I didn't like that judge. <laughs> and so another thing, another thing, don't have a book where the criminal can rate the judge because it's probably not going to go too well, right? Well, you said they do get to weigh in, right? Not Everybody criminal. gets to weigh in. Really? really? I, I think but so. It, but it is an interesting thing. And uh, the small claims court is a, is a neat way. You don't even have to, well, right now with COVID, you can't, but you can go visit a small claims court and listen and watch, mm -hmm. right? They're probably, probably some of them I would suspect are probably available to watch online. Oh, yeah. I know oh. that in, Mar in Maricopa County right now, they're doing a lot of stuff on video. And people can watch and also uh, call in. And so the courts still have to remain accessible. And I think Maricopa County does, has done a great job, even when we've had to move to uh, online uh, proceedings. Uh, they're available for the public to watch. Oh, wow. So is it kind of like Dancing with the Stars, where people get to vote on who they think should should <laughs> win? They watch too much TV, Cheryl. No? Okay. No. Well. <laughs> Speaking of websites, I just pulled up the one that has your face right there on it. This is a very nice website. So just as we start closing out, tell folks how they can learn more about all this that we've been talking about and the excellent work that you and your team do. We have a number of things online that you can find probably simply by using any search engine. We have a, a website which also contains links to our ever-increasing number of things that you can do online instead of, ha having, instead of having to come down to the court. It also will take you to other partnership sites like the court itself and self-help resources. So not just services we provide, but uh, we also have links to other places that we, we find our customers find helpful. We also, I believe, uh, I know we have a, a Facebook account. I believe we have a Twitter account. I'm not a Twitter person. I, I, I do use Facebook, but I know that we have an online presence in social media. We try to push out advisories when new services come out, uh, or if there's like a power outage at one of our courts, if you subscribe to our Facebook page, you'll receive notifications when things like that happen. So, uh, but you can learn more by going to our website. Uh, we also uh, on our website have links to some email addresses that you can use if you'd like to ask any questions, uh, or if you have any suggestions, we're always, excited to hear from those we serve on how it is we can serve you better. And you'll find a link on our website that will take you somewhere where you can provide feedback to help us help you. That's awesome. That's awesome. And hey. it's clerkofthecourt.maricopa.gov. So I do have another question, Jeff. So you had mentioned earlier that there's a lot of people that are self-representing themselves in the court nowadays. In the movies, that never works. But... <laughs> On what type of cases would be the best for like self uh, representing? Well, I don't know about I don't know about best, but I can tell you based upon uh, upon the numbers. That something I hear frequently is 
more and more often people are choosing to represent themselves in family court cases. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, and that docket is a rather strong docket, high volume docket here in Maricopa County. And I, and I, if I remember correctly, uh, one of the stats I recently heard was in in at least 80% of cases, at least one party has chosen to represent themselves. And so, um, but a lot of those cases too, people oftentimes reach an agreement and uh, there are there is a self-help center down at the court, and uh, there's also other document preparers and other services that are available. I think you're going to see there's some new rules coming out that are going to kind of allow other types of, of uh, other professional individuals to be helpful in the courts pursuant to some rule changes that just occurred. And so I think you're going to find the ability to navigate the courts for self-represented litigants a little bit easier uh, uh, in the future and moving forward, um, which is good because again, not only is it complicated and, and, uh, uh, for some, but it is also costly. And if you can't afford an attorney, you have no choice oftentimes, but to represent yourself. So we try to do as much as we can. There's a lot of efforts underway, many committees that I've served on where we focus heavily on making sure that the process is something that can be understood uh, by individuals representing themselves doesn't have a lot of legal ease, for example. Mm-hmm. And so, but family court is where I see that growing the most. Uh, and you see some of that in civil as well. Um, in criminal, if you can't afford an attorney, the court obviously provides one. And so um, not as much there, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Very, very good. Well, thank you so much for all that you do and for giving us all of this, uh, all of this time that you gave us and information. We really appreciate it. And I think it's probably good that you're not on Twitter because you're a good Christian man. And that is no place for <laughs> uh, the likes of I, you. Yeah. You'll, you'll notice that, that my social media, you know, I, I try, I always try to focus on, I, I try to focus on the positive things. What can I do to help serve my community more? What can I do? Uh, and to be more helpful and, uh, and then focus on, on things that are important to me, like my family and my community. And uh, it's right now is a challenging time uh, for some to have a positive outlook. There's just so much going on. <laughs> it's just crazy. Uh, mm-hmm. I can barely turn the television on because it's just so many just commercials do after commercials. Just so do <laughs> I, I'm with you. So, well, thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor. I, I, I appreciate the opportunity. Wish you all the best. Thank you you so much. God bless, Jeff. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. You know, Jeff is awesome, and he has proven that he serves the community. There's not a doubt when he's going to run for something, he's got my vote. Because I look back, it must have been about 15 years that we've known each other. Mm -hmm. And um, he's he's always excelled in everything he's done. Mm -hmm. He really has. Um, Just good people. That's all you can really say. And um, you know, I wish that there was sort of like a, you know, a recipe, like you added, you know, a cup of this and a dash of that. Why don't you say that. what's truth? Oh, and, let me just tell you. And, I, and tell us how to vote for judges. Uh, but at least we know more now about how, how to research, but it is going to take us actually researching. So right. Go ahead. What, you're, what you're trying to say out there, mm-hmm. I wish there was a way to, to find out who is a liberal judge and a conservative judge. Not necessarily, not necessarily, because if you ascribe to, you know, politically liberal, but you are still driven by what does the Constitution say, or if you ascribe 
conservatively or identify conservatively politically speaking, but you make your judicial decisions based on your oath to protect and preserve and defend the Constitution, then, then it doesn't who matter. cares? So then really what we need to do is say, if you believe in this, I wish we could find a way to whether you really believe in this 100% or not. So the sheriff, uh, there's a C, what is it? CSPOA, CPSOA? I think it's CSPOA. Um, yeah, constitutional sheriff's and police association, I think, and they send to sheriffs a questionnaire, and depending on how the sheriff fills it out, they get a, a rating, uh, I think, and an endorsement by this group. It, it makes it so easy, you know, and, um, you know, coming up in our election, we are going to be voting for a sheriff, and he has, uh, he, I do believe he's gained the endorsement and, and the approval of this, this group. So it'd be nice if, yeah. Yeah, if you could just, because all, all of our want, right, people running every, for office, right. including judges. Yeah, whoever we elect, if they just follow the Constitution, you know, I'll keep quiet. Well, we'll quietly vote. Right? Well, we'll vote. That's right. And that's the thing. From the president down to your city council person, if they're not followers of the Constitution, then why are they here? Because that's what we do here. That's what we do here. You know, you got to be like teenage kids. Well, move out then. If you don't believe what the family believes, <laughs> move out. Well, you know. That's awesome. All right. Well, we got to wrap up. Thank you so much to our amazing listeners. The fact that you all lend us your ear and lend us your time is amazing. And then that you take these conversations into your spheres of influence and have those, you know, those debates or whatever it is with your your children, your coworkers, your your spouse, whoever it is, uh, that's amazing. Because even if there's something that we discuss on the show that you're like, that's not right. I disagree with what Dan said because about half disagree. of what I say, they wouldn't disagree with what I no, say, right? But, but uh, that's, but they they probably are disagreeing yes, with what Dan that's said. Um, 100% right there. Uh, that that at least you're thinking you're chewing on it mentally and that's i mean what more could we ask i've been wrong a couple of times and i'll tell you i'm I'll, i'm the first to admit it but i want a discussion mm -hmm. so i want to i want to know how you feel and and why you're either anti-gun anti-constitution talk to me don't get mad and pout just talk we don't have to raise our voices i just want to have a conversation with you and That'd be amazing. That's rare yes. these days. Yeah, because I've been to some appointments and I've seen, you know, I've talked to people. If if uh, CNN or MSN's on their news, I can't talk to them. They won't talk to me. They'll scream and yell at me and tell me to get out of their house. And it's their house. So I guess I have to. <laughs> but like today, I went to an appointment. And the Wait, lady Nobody was, knows what you mean by appointment. Well, because well, we're on the, we're out wearing our radio hat right now. Oh, so why would have, you go on an appointment if I, you're in the. We have pot of gold auctions in AZ Farms mm -hmm. and pot of gold. We, I do, I actually, I went on an appointment today and it was very, very refreshing because they had Trump bump, or stickers all over their house. <laughs> so I kind of knew, okay, I know how I can talk in this house. And then there's other times when there's a Biden house and I have to be really careful about it, but I want to have a conversation with a person that has a Biden sticker. I want to have a conversation. Talk right. to me. Tell me why he's so great. Tell me that you own a gun, but you still like Biden. Tell me why. Well, and there's people that right. would say, why do you think that 
Trump is really so pro-gun because some things have happened during his administration yes. that didn't happen in other administrations. So it and really you, doesn't fall down as tightly on those political lines as people want to right. make it. And that's why I constantly have to challenge you right. that it really, you know, our show is not, you know, the the uh, the Republican show. No. You know, and it's not the anti-Democrat show. It is, let's just discuss ideas and try to, to figure out what's the best way to proceed um, with the next vote or, you know, how to, how to support and, and be that bridge uh, with our inheritance that is the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and not get mucked up in the, right. the D versus the R stuff. And I have to say that if ever was a president that you like every single thing that he did, you're not being honest with yourself. There's always something. Um, because I want to tell you, there's some things Obama did. This is on recording, and I'm telling you right now, <laughs> there are things that Obama did that I didn't mind, that I kind of liked he did. Okay? So, and I'm, I'm not for Obama in any way, shape, or form, other than he was the best gun salesman that we've ever had. So, I knew yes. that's what you were talking no, about. No, but anyway. no, no, there's other things. And the same thing with Trump. He's, he's my guy. Trump is my guy. But there's some things that I don't like that he did. And if I could have a conversation with him, I'd have it with him. I'd tell him. I wouldn't tell him off. I'd say, what were you thinking? Why would you do that? And then I'd say, okay, I, I get that. Yeah. I don't have to agree with it, but I get it. Right. So that's the kind of thing. I want open conversations. And that's what we're hoping this show does is give us open conversations. That's all. Yeah. I think we all get a little too protective. We've been married like 35 years. Do you think I agree with everything that she says? Yes. yes. I do. Yes. Talk to me after the show. <laughs> this is when you want to, to direct message Dan to get the real skinny on that. Right. But we do have, you know, we have conversations that sometimes gets heated, but we try not to argue and we get to the solution before it gets to a problem most of the time. That's right? the thing is look for, you know, preserve the relationship and look for your common ground and move from there to find out what's the best way uh, to, to look for a solution. But I think some of us get so protective about our political candidate that it's almost like, what is it? Is it your infant child? I mean, you're like that protective about a, a political candidate who's going to be, you know, the ones with term limits they're here for this long and then off they go to do something else the ones that are there forever maybe we need to talk about some term limits let's oh let's my talk gosh. about some term oh my limits. god we're gonna you're gonna make but me say her name again no you're not i'm not gonna say nancy Pelosi. oh my gosh oh my. <laughs> all right we got to get out of here thank you to our awesome guest jeff fine yes, jeff, thank you uh clerk of the superior court excellent information gave us some great information on how to elect judges i mean they're they're going to go through craziness at the supreme court level what can we do at the local level because sometimes judge judges move on up right even the lady that they're considering right now they're calling her acb right amy coney barrett acb uh you know she was just at the seventh circuit i think she had to be approved for the Seventh Circuit, and now she's moving up to the Supreme Court. So where was she before that? You know, these judges, you know, as with a lot of uh, public servants and politicians, they move on up through the ranks. So we have to pay attention. We have to do our research at the local, state, and right. federal level every election, every time. And you're going to get a sample ballot. 
So take that sample ballot and find some ways to research every single name, every single one, corporation, commission, judges, whatever. Commission. Here in Arizona, All of them. that's an important one because it's our, um, our electricity rates, our power rates, um, and they want to go with this Green New Deal and they want to do all this other stuff. Those are the people that make those decisions. So don't just mindlessly, well, I don't care. I don't know anything about the Corporation Commission. Know something about it. All right, we got to go. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. Until next time, pray for our nation. Pray for our leaders. And our representatives and the people that are trusted with um, responsibilities to, to make decisions that affect our lives greatly. I want to pray a special All prayer of them, today. Dan. Dear Lord, please pray that the people that are sitting on their couches will get off their butts and vote. I don't, whatever vote, check whatever box you want, but research it and vote. All right. So pray for people to vote. Pray for our leaders, all of them, Dan. Every single one of them. Even the ones you don't like. Okay. Especially the ones you don't like. Okay. Be good to each other. <laughs>